listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. I had the most touching conversation yesterday with a practitioner that I've known for a number of years. And he, uh, uh, he and I kind of bumped into each other and asked how he was doing. And I typically will do that, even though I don't know that I really want to open that door in a grocery store. You know, how you doing? And then, well, boom, you know, and then you get hit with just mounds and mounds. I usually like reserving that for, you know, Dokusan or something like that. But this guy, I could tell there was just something about him that was in a pretty tough spot. And he said, uh, I'm afraid. And that was all he said, instead of just, you know, throwing down all this, you know, well, ba-boom, ba-boom. Instead it was, you know, it's how you doing? And I kind of went, probably shouldn't have asked that. And then he went, I'm afraid. And I just kind of held that space. And then I asked him, so how you doing with that fear? He says, okay, it's just fear. But it's hard. It's hard. And it is. It is very hard. He, um, he was dealing with not only significant loss uh, in his investment portfolio, but so he's like thinking, you know, I actually may have to move and, uh, you know, sell the house. And selling the house in this market is not something anybody wants to do. Um, just very real world stuff, um, and then kind of steering the conversation. Well, so how's the how's the practice going? How is the practice supporting this this scenario? And his response was, "Well, it's as if you know when it rains it pours because the practice has heated up so much. I feel afraid of the practice." I feel afraid of what the practice is showing me. Which is immediately, I kind of go, thunk, tell me about that. You know, what is the practice showing you? And his response was that there's nothing there. I said, well, boy, it sounds like everything's working perfectly. (laughs) You know, at which point he kind of looked at me. (laughs) You know, and uh, I, of course, smiled and I said, seriously? Everything's working perfectly. I mean, the universe right now is conspiring to offer you a reset button. You just got to push it. Nobody can push it for you. Nobody can push it for you. No one's going to do this work for you. Um, we run into situations where, at least this is the way I, I felt like my relationship with my teacher was very much about somebody who had 
pretty much gone through graduate work and I was just going to sit there and let it all in. And uh, hopefully I would, I would graduate at some point in time. Little did I know that it's not something you really graduate from, but it's a type of, if you will, schooling that you continually attend. The universe is providing us with the schooling constantly, constantly giving us opportunities to let go. Now, I didn't want to hit this guy too hard because he was obviously kind of in a fragile space. And um, despite my usual hardcore style, I felt it was probably better to just kind of, you know, let him know that <laughs> that uh, he's not alone, especially as the self starts to disappear, as this idea we have about self, me, as that starts to give way to, wow, everything's all connected, fear naturally starts slipping away from that. Compassion naturally comes from that. Love naturally comes from that. So every time we sit, we actually have a chance to burn down a little bit more of that structure. And this is fear-inducing for the thing that's been pounding the nails all, that, all this time. This thing that is hell-bent on making sure that there is something to stand on so that we can understand what this is all about. And unfortunately, that ain't going to work ever. What we do here is present ourselves. Literally, we present. You just show up and watch what happens with our full attention. We pay super close attention to this very life. We get past the window dressing. We get past what is superficial within us in order to reveal what's true to the rest of humanity. And it's as simple as not moving. Sometimes when I say that, new, new meditators kind of freak out. They're like, mm, not moving. What do you mean? Um, what if I'm uncomfortable? Well, that's a perfect opportunity to practice with discomfort. Well, what if it's so uncomfortable that I just have to move? Then by all means, practice with that too. Doesn't mean don't move. Maybe you need to. But what would it be like? What would it be like if in any situation, be it physical or emotional pain, there was a certain steadiness to you, a certain steadiness that actually was soft? Instead of having that 
hardened sense of attachment that we spoke about in Q&A last week. Instead, there was something that was just kind of open and soft about our mind and about our heart. The stakes become much lower at that point. And as the stakes become lower, so too does the anxiety, does the fear, does everything else. So I invite you tonight to soften. Meditation can act as a, a, a tenderizer. Uh, that, by the way, was always my favorite thing to do in the kitchen when it was time to um, tenderize either some type of uh, steak or chicken or something like that. Just pounding. I remember as a kid, just we had this wooden, a wooden tenderizer, you know, and it was just so cool to. And my mom was very clear about, okay, now you want to make sure you, you know, you make it so that it's nice and evenly flat. If you hit it too hard, you'll destroy the you'll destroy the dish. And if you don't hit it hard enough, nothing happens. That's essentially what meditation is. It's my mom's directions to meet tenderization. <laughs> you want to stiffen it up enough. But you don't want to destroy the dish. It'll destroy itself, ultimately. The structure will fall away on its own. But you don't want to just be in this for comfort. Tap, 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 you know, because... It won't, it won't let the marinade in. It won't, it won't let the Dharma rain soak through. So find your middle way. And walk it. Without moving. By just sitting still. I was giving you an invitation prior to our sitting. And that invitation is to, we can, we can say it in several different ways, but more than anything else, it's an invitation to get real. You know? Walk into your life awake, aware. Um... One of the best ways we can do this is to is to begin begin questioning what it is that we want. We talked about that a fair amount, and then really, if you get good at it, begin questioning where you get stuck. Where is it that you lock up? Where do you get hooked? Where is it in life? that you get pulled by what is small in you or what is small in others. I've sometimes said that the most contagious thing is worse than the common cold. And for those of you that know me pretty well, um, this season has been the all-time worst cold season for me in my entire life thus far. Um, so I know a thing or two about 
common colds, at least this year. Maybe next year I won't, but the thing that's more, more contagious than that common cold is someone else's unconsciousness. Unconsciousness taps us. And the invitation from someone's unconsciousness is something that will perpetually keep us stuck. And so creating, a, if you will, like a force field of curiosity around where we get stuck, creating a, an open space around all the things that kind of pull at us allows for us to begin this work at a much deeper intensity. I love asking the question, what would you ask the most awakened being you can imagine? Maybe it's Christ or Buddha, or maybe it's, it's someone that you've known. Maybe it's, it's the Dalai Lama. Maybe it's you know, whoever it is. The most awakened being that you know of if you've just had a long week, it's Friday afternoon, and you're walking down the street, and suddenly they show up, what do you ask them? What do you touch on the minute you are face-to-face -face with awakening? If you don't have that question ready right now, you need to work a little harder. <laughs> you, need to, you need to turn up the heat. And the reason is, when we are willing to totally just ask, ask our heart's deepest longing, ask from that place, I should say, when we are ready to ask a truly deep question with our full mind and our full body, there's a point of surrender in there that allows for all sorts of very, very interesting stuff to happen. We become conscious expressions of the universe the minute we aren't interested in saying how much we know, but we are even more interested in opening to what it is we don't know. There's a humility, an automatic humility that kind of comes with this. It allows us to, as I said, get real. It allows us to get over ourselves in some really, really beautiful ways. And like I said before, the minute we are in that able to meet that spacious opening consciously is the minute that compassion Love, all those things, are the most natural expressions of our condition imaginable. Trying to do it the other way around, I think, actually is a huge distraction. We can get caught by all sorts of uh, really seductive pieces of unconsciousness when we, well, I'll try to be nice first. I'll try to be really compassionate, and then awakening will happen. I mean, there are entire schools of thought that are really into this, and certainly that's, that's, you cannot see that as necessarily a bad practice. Well, we're just trying to be nice. Don't do that. Don't be nice. Awaken first. You know, and that, I, I don't subscribe to that at all. 
but I, what I am articulating here is that you, you've got to be willing to accept this invitation. You've got to be willing to meet your life totally. You've got to be able to practice even when it hurts. Actually, especially when it hurts. Even when it feels good. Practice meeting your life. Practice holding this thing you call self right up to the white light of awakening. So, the other, the other thing I, I guess I would say in relationship to if you saw the, you know, the uh, an awakened being approach you on your walk home from work on a long, on a Friday after a long week, what do you think they would ask from you? What would they, what would they want? What would they want from you? Well, on the one hand, they want nothing. On the other hand, they're walking on these streets, in this world, to be helpful. They're the ones with the graduate degrees trying to help you learn more. Or maybe I should say, unlearn more. Where you begin to kind of throw down the conditioning, you know, and start to hit the reset button very consciously. Along these lines, there's a poem that was... uh, written that I like reading usually about once once a year, once or twice a year, and for some reason the uh, springtime, or the minute a day hits 90, is pretty much when I'm thinking, all right, maybe it's time for this particular poem. Um, uh, this is by Oriah Mountain Dreamer. She's an Indian elder, even though she is, uh, uh, um, she lives in Marin County, actually, and it was made very clear to me by someone that I, I read this at, at one of our sittings, and it, <laughs> she was very clear to me uh, in, in that she said, you know, she's a suburban housewife in Marin. And I was really taken with the judgment that kind of came implicitly with that, you know, what was worse is then the, the phrase that came afterwards, which she probably drives a Volvo. <laughs> And I was like, wow, is there some clinging there? No. <laughs> um, I still think, regardless of what she's driving, what she's driving at is truth. The truth beyond name and form. So Volvo or no Volvo? I shouldn't have said that. You guys are going to listen to this. And you're going to go, wow. Maybe I should get a Volvo or something. But... It's still this really beautiful, beautiful expression of themes that I think we go over again and again and again in this particular group. And so I'd like for you to just, if you will, let these words kind of wash over you and your life as it is. Whatever's going on in your life right now, let this offer you an opening through that stuff. Okay? No matter if it's good or bad, let it take you on the outside, on the outside of all that may be catching you. This is called the invitation.
And she asks, excuse me, she says, it doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I want to know what you ache for and if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's deepest longing. It doesn't interest me how old you are. I want to know if you will risk looking like a fool for love, for your dreams, for the adventure of being alive. It doesn't interest me what planets are squaring your moon. I want to know if you have touched the center of your own sorrow, if you have been opened by life's betrayals or have become shriveled and closed from fear of further pain. I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine or your own, without moving to hide it or fade it or fix it. I want to know if you can be with joy, mine or your own, if you can dance with wildness and let the ecstasy fill you to the tips of your fingers and toes without cautioning us to be careful, be realistic, or remember the limitations of being a human. It doesn't interest me if the story you're telling me is true. I want to know if you can disappoint another to be true to yourself, if you can bear the accusation of betrayal and not betray your own soul. I want to know if you can be faithful and therefore be trustworthy. I want to know if you can see beauty even when it's not pretty every day. And you can source your life from this presence. I want to know if you can live failure, yours and mine, and still stand on the edge of a lake and shout to the silver of the full moon, yes. It doesn't interest me to know where you live or how much money you have. I want to know if you can get up in the night of grief and despair, weary and bruised to the bone, and do what needs to be done for the children. It doesn't interest me who you are or how you came to be here. I want to know if you will stand in the center of the fire with me and not shrink back. It doesn't interest me where or what or with whom you have studied. I want to know what sustains you from the inside when all else falls away. I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you truly like the company you keep in the empty moments. Accepting this invitation is the first step to leading an authentic spiritual, or excuse me, to, uh, to exploring and realizing an authentic spiritual path. I love this line. I want to know if you can see beauty even when it's not pretty. I want to know if you've touched the center of your own sorrow. If you've been opened by life's betrayals or have become shriveled and closed from fear of further pain. I want to know if you can sit with pain. So how do we live from this place? 
the teaching is very specific. And um, I pretty much say something like it all the time. Uh, but it's two words. Let go. It's three. Let go now. <laughs> and the voice that goes, let go. What do you mean, let go? Got a mortgage to pay. You can let go and still pay the mortgage. You can let go and still go to work. Letting go does not become, you become some quasi-realized couch potato going through all of your DVDs on spiritual matters. Okay? Letting go means participating even more fully in this very life that we're leading. It means not being shriveled from fear of further pain. This takes courage. But if you're sitting in this room, you've got it. The way that you go about making sure that those responsibilities are cared for is either done in a conscious way or an unconscious way. Letting go, truly letting go, means that you are doing all the things necessary to maintain a life in a very conscious way. It means that you don't get caught by another's unconsciousness and you don't get caught by your own. It means that you can become intimate with anything that is arising. Anything that is arising, you can get right next to it without being pushed off your center, so to speak. Miraculously, living in the world like that allows you to pay the mortgage. Uh, it, it actually attracts. Uh, you become like a, a vortex for grace and ease. Okay, no matter what you're doing. Chances are when you're living from and in that space, you are living with very, very conscious attention to what's going on right now. And in doing so, what that does is it uncovers a future that is much more optimal, I guess, would be a, a way of saying it, than if we, are, if we are bound by something or caught by something or hooked by something. doesn't mean it's going to be easy, you know, I mean, uh, especially in relationship to paying the mortgage, the, uh, I mean, that brings up all sorts of stuff for people, survival issues, old stories, especially stories about our past, our families, you know, suddenly you've got somebody speaking to you and it's your mom's voice or your dad's voice or somebody and you're kind of, you're, you're listening. That's not letting go. That's being caught. Okay. Letting go is when you're able to say, oh, hey, welcome. It's nice to hear you again. But you are not truth. Are you letting go of just uh, control? What are we letting go of? Um, everything. But that does not mean, that does not mean that you, when you, when I say let go of everything, that doesn't mean you push things away. Oh, I'm not going to deal with it. That's not letting go. 
If you, if you just kind of say, oh, I'm not going to deal with that, I'm letting go, basically what you're doing is you are avoiding what's presenting itself in your life fully. Letting go means you participate with, with you know, total openness, with whatever's going on. We confuse it. The ego loves doing this, too. The ego loves saying, letting go means that the car will crash. Okay? Well, you're not in a car. This life is not, we're not driving a car. This life is about attending to what is arising with our full awareness. We always are hit from all sides. There's so much to attend to. Then it's triage. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's triage. So, you know, what, then we prioritize and so forth. And we also recognize that being hit from all sides will not always be our reality. If it is always our reality, being hit from all sides, then we need to be very intimate with what it feels like to be hit from all sides. And in that intimacy, we develop a certain freedom from getting hit from all sides that allows for deep clarity. And that deep clarity allows us to deal with every single thing that hits us from all sides. We suddenly are divinely inspired whack-a-mole artists and bonk, bonk, bonk. We get every single one of them, you know. Um, but that's really, from a, a spiritual perspective, that's not the way life, life unfolds. From an egoic perspective, totally. The ego is, is desperate to make sure it can find things to, to attend to. The awareness of all those things to attend to is not the same thing as got to do this, got to do this, got to do that. You know, creating an, in, it, you know, an intense spiral. Our awareness of that intense spiral is not caught by that intense spiral. Our awareness of the rabbit hole is not diminished or caught by the rabbit hole. Exact. You're a failure. You're less than. You're lacking. Yeah. That's a voice that what we need to do is get really curious about it. Get really curious about the voices that are most critical. Get really curious about the fact that that voice could not have any type of life at all unless we some, somehow deep down felt we were coming at this experience from a position of lack. That there's just not enough. What happens is the minute we become very intimate with that, we start seeing that, oh my God, there is nothing but abundance. And that will force the entire room to go upside down, and then you have to rearrange the wall hangings and the furniture. And that's called enlightenment. Are you ready? Think about it. And then stop thinking about it. Just do it. I know I sound like a Nike commercial. But just do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes? So on the lines of just do it, how does one practice? Just doing what we're doing now on a consistent basis? Lots of sitting every day. Any other questions? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, continue. Right on what you're saying. The, uh, the ego goes out in the future, attaches to 
potential scenarios and being a business or a coach you have that out there and you want to fix it and you want the outcome to be exceptional right and if it's not then the ego crushes and the failure exactly what you're saying right and so can you be intimate with failure that's a great practice can you be intimate with the idea of failure and when I say intimate, basically I'm saying is practice. Whatever the result is, it's okay. Whatever the result is, it's okay. Whatever the result is, it is giving you an amazing opportunity. Even if it's the ego defines the result as horrific or yet again or, you know, oh my God, whatever, it is still, it is still, spiritually speaking, a red carpet into the house of God. It is an invitation to truth, to what is beyond the contraction, what is beyond the story of success, what is beyond the story of being attacked from all sides. We, we actually we develop a certain peace with all of that chaos. And, and when we, yeah, but don't attach to that. You know, your ideas of what that might be like I promise you are not what it's like. <laughs>